Carrie hit me with some harsh reality about a week ago. I was complaining about something, something very small. And she said, I'm sure those uh, in Houston would love to have this problem. And, you know, it, it brought me back to reality and, and put things in perspective. So a lot of times we t- get very frustrated with minor things or small things, and there are people who are homeless um, and wondering where they're going to find their next meal or you know, uh, may have lost everything that they're, uh, you know, they worked their whole life for. Um, and we know that, that Florida is about to, to get hit. Um, again, it, it puts things into perspective. So um, keep praying for those individuals. Um, we're going to be in Corinthians tonight, so if you could turn to Corinthians with me. And I'm actually going to read uh, the preface here. It says, Corinth was the most important city in Greece during Paul's day. It was uh, a bustling hub of worldwide commerce, had a degraded culture, and idol- idolatrous religion. There, Paul founded a church. And the two letters uh, are addressed to the church of God, which is, in, uh, is at Corinth. 1 Corinthians reveals the problems, pressures, and struggles of a church called out of a pagan society. Paul addresses a variety of problems in the lifestyle of the Corinthian church. Factions, lawsuits, immorality, questionable practices, abuse of the Lord's Supper, and spiritual gifts. In addition to words of discipline, Paul shares words of counsel and answer to questions raised by the Corinthian believer. And as I was reading about that, about the city of Corinth, it's sounds a lot like America, you know, a, a hub of worldwide commerce, um, a degraded culture, uh, idolatrous religions. Um, and so as we go through this, one of the things I want to focus in on is, <clears throat> I think sometimes we overcomplicate the Word of God and overcomplicate our responsibilities. Um, it's like we're always trying to find new ways to reach more people. And as I was reading this, and I'm reading Paul, Paul Christ, uh, preached Christ and Christ crucified. That was his message. He didn't find no, some new fancy way to deliver the message. He didn't find some wise way to deliver it. He just preached Christ and Christ crucified. Because that's where salvation comes from. <clears throat> so we're going to go ahead and start. And um, I've got us through chapter 4. If we get there, we get there. If not, we don't. Um, we may go further. I don't know. So this is Paul called to be the apostle of Jesus Christ through the will of God. The student is to our brother. <clears throat> to the church of God, which is in Corinth. To those who are sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints... Who are, sorry, with all who in every place call the name of Jesus Christ our Lord, both theirs and ours. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God always concerning you for the grace of God which was given to you by Christ Jesus. That you were enriched in everything by 
him in all utterances and in all knowledge, even as the testimony of Christ was confirmed in you, so that you come short in no gift, eagerly waiting the revelation of, of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will also confirm you to the end that you may be blameless in the day of the Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Now I plead with you, brethren, by the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, that you speak the same thing and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. And so Paul, he, he has this nice introduction. He, he says, you know, I'm, I'm thankful for you. I'm thankful that God called you out. And then he goes in and he begins to address the first problem. And he says, I, I want you to be of the same speech and of the same mind. This is extremely important. And I'll give you an example. I'll give you multiple examples. Carrie and I have two kids. If Annabelle comes to me and says, Dad... Can I have this juice box? Small example, right? But it's 10 o'clock at night or 8.30 because she would be in bed at 10. 8.30 and she says, I want a juice box. And I say, Annabelle, no, you cannot have that juice box. And she turns around and goes to her mom and says, Mom, can I have this juice box? And Carrie says, yeah, sure, you can have that juice box. There's division. And that's small, But the same thing happens in the church. And it's a bigger thing when it happens in the church. Because if Bruce were to teach one thing in Sunday school, and Pastor were to teach another thing on Sunday morning, and then I was to preach another thing on Sunday night, it could confuse a believer. And it could send mixed messages. And that can be damning to someone's salvation. That's why it's important. And so Paul says, I want you to be of the same speech. You should be on the same page. And he actually says in later later chapters, he says, I want you to imitate me. Because you have a lot of instructors, but you don't have any fathers. You don't have any guidance. I want you to imitate me. And, you know, New Hope's been around, I don't know, what are we, 26, 20, 26 years? There have been times where pastors had to say, hey, we're not doing that. Put an end to stuff. Because it wasn't of the same speech. It didn't line up with the word of God. And that's important. And that's important to us as believers. Because to the unbelievers... It's really confusing when they're getting mixed messages. And so they might look at me and they might look at Rod. And if Rod says, well, yeah, it's not that big of a deal. Don't worry. We don't worry about that. You know, we believe in Christ and that's it. You can do whatever you want. And I'm saying, no, you need to live holy. You need to live pure. That confuses an unbeliever. And Paul told the church in Corinth, he said, you need to be of the same speech. 
You need to be of the same mind. And that's important, church. It's important for us that we be on the same speech and the same mind. We have to know what we believe and what we stand for. Being perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. For it has been declared to me concerning you, my brethren, by those of Chloe's household, that there are contentions among you. And so that's the next step, is there are contentions. So what came out of this is one person would say, well, I'm a follower of so-and-so. And I'm a follower, well, I go to Sunday school with Bruce. I believe in the teachings of Bruce. Well, I believe in the teachings of Pastor Joe. Or, well, I like to go on Sunday nights and and hear Chase preach, so I'm a a follower of Chase. That's what happens. And then in the early church, there were contentions among the different factions. That's a problem. And it can happen here in 2017 with us. And it doesn't have to happen just in the church because we can get on our cell phones and we can get podcasts and we can follow people on podcasts or we can find these books and read, read different books and say, well, I, I, I really like the teachings of so-and-so or I really like the books of so-and-so. We were replacing this with podcasts, with YouTube, with books, and all that does is it takes away from we're followers of Christ. Our likeness and our mindset should be in that of Christ and of Christ crucified. And see, when we start saying, well, I I really like the teachings of so-and-so, or I'm a follower of, it could be David Wilkerson. What happens then is we can cause contention and, and factions within the church, and that's not good. And we see this here in the church in Corinth. It says, now, I say this to each of you, says, I am, I am of Paul, or I am of Apollos, or I am of Cephas, or I am of Christ. Is Christ divided? And so, you know, you can fall into that and say, well, I really like to teach you. I'm of Bruce. But is Christ divided? Have we divided his teachings in the word of God? Was Paul crucified for you? Was Bruce crucified for you? Was Pastor Joe crucified for you? Or are you baptized in the name of Paul? I thank God, Paul says. I thank God I baptized none of you except for Christmas and Gaius, lest anyone should say that I had baptized in my own name. He said, I'm glad that I've only baptized a few of you because you'd be saying, well, I was baptized in the name of Paul. And I think Paul even was saying here that if he baptized so many, he would start to think he was the one baptizing. Yes, I also baptized the household of Stephanus. Besides, I don't know whether I baptized any other. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with wisdom of words, lest the cross of Christ should be made of no effect. And we try, this is what we do in the United States church. 
we try and, and find these real wise words or these real fancy ways to preach. And doing that, we make the cross of Christ of no effect. The cross of Christ is our way to salvation. It's the truth to the world. And here's the problem, and I'll get more into this later, but the problem lies in when we try and find these real wise, fancy ways to preach to people or give them the word of God, they're ways of man. And then their faith becomes attached to the ways of man. When you realize that your deficiencies are so overwhelming and the only way that you can have salvation is through the blood of Christ... You're attached, your faith is in the blood of Christ. Not in the wisdom of man, not in some fancy gadget, not in the screams, not in, in, in lights, not in music. And those aren't bad things of themselves. But when our faith becomes in those things, that's a problem. Our faith has to be in Christ and in the cross, the blood of Christ that is our salvation. Verse 17 says, For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with wisdom of words, lest the cross of Christ should be made of no effect. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to those who are being saved, it is the power of God. And I'm hoping that everybody in here has been there where the cross has been the power of God to you, and it's your salvation, it's your hope, it's what you cling to. I remember when I was in college, uh, uh, a young man that, that we had become friends with, he, he played music down in Athens uh, for the, the worship team down there. And so Jason Williamson and I are sitting talking to him, and I had a cross around my neck, and the young man said, why are you wearing a cross? I'm like, it signifies Christ's death and the salvation that I have. And he was almost offended that I would be wearing a cross, that the cross didn't really have purpose. And then I thought, I'm going to distance myself from this guy because if you don't understand the purpose and the, the, the significance of the cross, you can't understand salvation. I mean, that's what I cling to, church. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and bring nothing the understanding of the prudent. Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world through wisdom did not know God. It pleased God through the foolishness of, of the message preached to save those who believed. For Jews request a sign and Greeks seek after wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified to the Jews, a stumbling block, and to the Greeks' foolishness. But those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of God, because the foolishness of God is wiser than man, and the weakness of God is stronger than man. How awesome is that? The foolishness of God is wiser than man, and the weakness of God is stronger than man. So even at his weakest point, it's better than what man has to offer. For you see your calling, brethren, that many, uh, not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, and not many noble are called. But God has chosen the foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame the things which are mighty. 
And the base things of the world and the things which are despised, God has chosen. And the things which are not to bring to nothing the things that are. That's powerful. That's powerful stuff, especially living in America. You know, when we, we see things on the History Channel like the men who built America and these great names like Vanderbilt and Rockefeller and they've got all the money in the world and at the end of their life, they don't know what to do with all of that money. And then the American dream is to get money and to collect things and to go to school and become wise. And Scripture says that that God will use the foolish things to put to shame those wise things. We spend our lives trying to collect stuff, then only to have our kids get rid of it when we die. <clears throat> that no flesh should glory in his presence. But of him you are Christ Jesus, who became for us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. That as it is written, he who glories, let him glory in the Lord. And I, brethren, when I came to you, did not come with excellence of speech or of wisdom, declaring to you the testimony of God. Isn't that amazing? Paul says, and I mean Paul who's responsible for writing most of the New Testament, says, I didn't come to you in excellence of speech. You would think that he was a pretty eloquent person. I mean, he wrote half of the, the world's most selling book. And he says, I didn't come to you with excellence of speech. Or in wisdom, declaring to you the testimony of God. For I determined not to know anything among you, except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. He said, I came to you, and I preached to you the gospel of Jesus Christ and Christ crucified. I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. And my speech and my preaching were not with persuasive human words, uh, words of human wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power. That your faith should not be in wisdom of men, but in the power of God. See, Paul says, I didn't come to you with human wisdom. See, a lot of times we want, we want you know, what's the, the, the formula to building a church? And I don't, was it 10 years ago, the, what was that called? The five, you remember that? The five something. It, it was, there was a formula. You had to have these five things. You have these five things. You mix them together, and bam, you got a great church. And if you're missing one of those elements, you're missing great church. Here's the problem with that church. This is the problem. If, if the five factors, that's what we'll call them, you got the five factors, and you're, you've got people coming, and then you're lacking one of those five factors, they lose their faith. You know why? Because their faith is in the five factors. Their faith isn't in Christ. Their faith is in the show of the five factors. It's not a formula. It's in Christ and Christ crucified. And if we preach the gospel of Christ and Christ crucified, then your faith is in Christ. But when we try and fancy things up and make it about human words 
and the knowledge of man. And then your faith becomes in man's wisdom. And we just read that even in God's weakness, he's stronger than man at his strongest point. Sometimes I'm glad people think I'm inept and stupid. Seriously. Then maybe God will use me as an empty vessel. I like being empty. Seriously. I, I, our faith has to be in Christ. It can't be in Pastor Joe. It can't be in, you know... 60% of the band was missing this morning. Can't be in the band. Uh, your faith can't even be a new hope. I mean, with the, we're, we're going to be lucky to make it through September, but with the natural disasters that are happening in the United States, new hope might not be here in a week. What are you going to do? If next Sunday morning, new hope is not a structure standing here, your faith can't be in this building. Faith has to be in Christ. Can't be in, in, in the formula, church. It's got to be in Christ. Five again, that your faith should be in the wisdom, be, sorry, should not be in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. However, we speak wisdom among those who are mature, yet not wisdom of this age, nor the rulers of this age, who are coming to nothing. But we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, the hidden wisdom, which only comes from reading this word, church. Which God ordained before the ages of our glory, which none of the rulers of this age knew, for had they known, they would not have crucified the Lord. Isn't that true? Clearly, the rulers of the world in Christ's day weren't wise. Because they ha had they been wise in God's eyes, they wouldn't have crucified the king of glory. But as it is written, eye has not seen, nor ear heard, nor entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love him. But God has revealed to them, revealed them to us through his spirit. For his spirit searches all things, yes, the deep things of God. For what man knows that the things of a man except the spirit of the man which is in him. Even so, no one knows the things of God except the spirit of God. Now, we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might know the things that have been freely given to us by God. Hallelujah. We know and we have discernment because the Spirit of God lives inside of us and that gift is in us so we can receive freely. But the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God for they are foolishness to him, nor can he know them because they are spiritually discerned. But he who is spiritual judges all things, yet he himself is rightly judged by no one. For who has known the mind of the Lord that he may instruct him. But we have the mind of Christ. And I, brethren, could not speak to you as spiritual people, but as carnal, as to babes in Christ. I fed you with milk and not with solid food. For until now, you were not able to receive it. Even now, you are still not able to. 
And Paul says, I, I spoke to you as babes because you weren't able to receive the spiritual food, the, the, the meat. For you are still carnal. For where there are envy, strife, and divisions among you, you are not carnal and behaving... You are... Sorry. Are you not carnal and behaving like mere men? For when one says, I am of Paul, and another, I am of Apollos, are you not carnal? Who then is Paul and Apollos, but ministers through whom you believed as the Lord gave to each one? I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. So then... Neither he who plants is anything, nor, nor he who waters, but God who gives the increase. Now he who plants and he who waters are one, and each one will receive his own reward according to his labor. For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field. You are God's building. According to the grace of God, which is given to me as a wise master builder, I have laid a foundation, and another builds on it. But let each one take heed how he builds on it. For no other foundation can anyone lay than that which is laid, which is on Jesus Christ. Church, our foundation has to be on Christ. Again, if we've got the five, the five factors and your foundation's on the five factors, the moment one of those factors disappears, your foundation goes. And I see it time in and time out here in church. And I remember helping with, with, with the youth and, and we were, were working with young kids and I'm going, why are, why, are, are they, why are they leaving? And my fear is, and, and I'm saying myself, I fear sometimes I sold them an experience. Not Christ. And we can't do that as a church. We can't sell an experience. And there are churches that are doing that. They're selling experiences. Because here's the problem with that. The moment you don't have the glittery feelings in your gut, you lose your faith. Because your faith, your faith is on that experience, not in Christ. <clears throat> We are fools for Christ's sake. Sorry, I think I skipped ahead. Does anyone know where I was? 312. Now, if anyone builds on these foundations with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become clear, for the day will declare it, because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test each one's work and what sort it is. See, church, when we have Christ as the foundation, the fire comes, the foundation stands. But when we add the wood, the hay, the gold, the silver, the fire comes, the foundation crumbles. And that's why it can't be a formula. It can only be Christ. And so if you're thinking about the person that's next to you at work, and you're like, well, I'm really thinking about how I can sell them the gospel. Stop trying to sell them the gospel. Tell them of Christ and Christ crucified. About Christ as the saving grace. That Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. That no man comes to the Father but by him. 
and that the blood of Christ covers all of our sins. And it's the only way to heaven. And see, church, when we add other things of, hey, you should come to New Hope. It's really cool. It's, you'll like it. And the music is cool. It's almost like a rock show. You know, Tom gets up there. He's on his electric guitar. It's Christ and Christ crucified, church. Nothing more, nothing less. It, it, we can't sell an experience. We can't say, hey, you'll like it. Because the first thing you'll see is a nice smiling face. He'll even open the door for you. I'm not saying we shouldn't do these things. That's all good. That's all fine. That is not what leads to salvation. We can't sell experiences. And so you're, you're praying for the person next to you. Tell them about Jesus Christ and what, they did for you, what he did for your life. How he picked you up out of the miry clay and set your feet upon a rock. Tell, him, tell your, your friends, those around you, what Christ did for you. The problem is, is when we sell the experience to them, the moment that it's different, they leave. The moment they come in, they're like, oh gosh, who's this guy preaching? I would like Pastor Joe. Because we sell them the experience. Pastor Joe's job is to do what is in, at the end of chapter one, of making sure that everybody that's up here is of the same speech and of the same mind. And the point in that is, is it doesn't matter that who's behind this pulpit. When we're out there, we should be getting fed. We shouldn't walk in and say, well, I, this guy talks too much, or I don't like the words this guy uses. Or pastor's responsibility is to make sure that it's of one voice and of one accord and lines up with the word of God. Our job is to sit and get something and get fed. I apologize. <clears throat> if anyone's work is burned, he will suffer a loss, but he himself will be saved, yet so is through fire. Do you not know that you are a temple of God and that your spirit, the spirit of God dwells in you? If anyone defiles the temple of God, God will destroy him. For the temple of God is holy, which temple you are. Church, think about that. You're a temple of God. That's a privilege. Let no one deceive himself. If anyone among you seems to be wise in this age, let him become a fool that he may become wise. For the wisdom of the world is foolishness with God. For it is written, he catches the wise in their own craftiness. And again, the Lord knows the thoughts of the wise, that they are futile. Therefore, let no one boast and men, for all things are yours, whether of Paul or of Paulus or of Cephas, or the world or of life or death, or the things present or the things that come. And you are Christ, and Christ is God's. Let a man so consider us as servants of Christ and stewards of the, myster of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it is required in stewards that one be found faithful. But with me, it is a very small thing that I should be judged by you or by human court. In fact, I don't even judge myself. For I know of nothing against myself, yet I'm not justified by this. But he who judges me is the Lord. 
Therefore, judge nothing before the time until the Lord comes, who will both bring to light the hidden things of darkness and reveal the counsels of the heart. Then each one's praise will come from God. Now, these things, brethren, I have figuratively transferred to myself and Apollos for your sakes, that you may learn in us not to think beyond what is written, that none of you may be puffed up on behalf of the one uh, of one against the other. Think about that. Paul says, I don't want you to think beyond what's written. I don't want you to have your own thoughts. Because when you stop, when you start having your own thoughts, they stop lining up with this. And I'm being completely uh, honest here. There's a reason I use a lot of scripture. Because I'll go off and say something that doesn't line up. I want to use scripture. So then when I walk down off of these stairs, you can't say, wow, you're really off base here. It's Paul. Blame him, right? So, but the the point that I'm making is, Paul said, I I don't want you to think beyond what's written here. Because if if you start thinking, you come up with your own theology and your own thoughts, what happens? You become puffed up. And it's going to be Chase's message and Chase's theology. And and it becomes all about us. For who makes you differ from another? And what do you have that you did not receive? Now, if you did indeed receive it, why do you boast as if you had not received it? You are already full. You are already rich. You have reigned as kings without us. And indeed, I could wish that you did reign, that we may also reign with you. For I think that God has displayed us, the apostles, last as men condemned to death. For we have been made a spectacle to the world, both to angels and to men. We are fools for Christ's sake. And you are wise in Christ. You are weak, but you are strong. You are distinguished but you are dishonored. To the present hour, we both hunger and thirst, and we are poorly clothed and beaten and homeless, and we labor, working with our own hands. Being reviled, we bless. Being persecuted, we endure. Being defamed, we entreat. We have been made as the filth of the world, the offscoring of all the things until now. I do not write these things to shame you, but as my beloved children, I warn you. For though you might have 10,000 instructors in Christ, you do not have any fathers, many fathers. For in Christ Jesus, I have begotten you through the gospel. Therefore, I urge you, imitate me. And so Paul tells this young church, he says, hey, you might have 10,000 instructors. You might have all these people who are leading you, but you don't have many fathers. You don't have many f- people that you can follow. So he tells them, imitate me. He's guiding them. For this reason, I have sent Timothy to you, who is my beloved and faithful son in the Lord, who will remind you of my ways in Christ, as I teach you everywhere in every church. Now, some of you are puffed up, as though I were not coming to you. But I will come to you shortly, if the Lord wills, and I will know not the word of those 
I will know not the word of those who are puffed up, but the power. For the kingdom of God is not of word, but in power. What do you want? Shall I come to you with a rod or in love and a spirit of gentleness? And so, and I'll leave this to you. Um, chapter 4 ends, and, and, and Paul, I think, brings both. He brings both the rod and, and, and love, but he begins giving direction to the, the, the uh, Corinthian church that was uh, losing their direction. And so you can go through there and, and read. He addresses each one. He talks about uh, they were suing each other. Talks about, um, you know, the reasons why you shouldn't sue each other within a church. Um, and, and, and it's actually, it, it makes practical sense. He says, you know, if, if, if brother sues brother and you go hear it in the world. So now you're having the world decide over Christian matters. And um, I encourage you, as you go through the week, read through the rest of 1 Corinthians. He takes each one of those those issues that the, the Corinthian church had, and he addresses them and gives them spiritual guidance on how to handle them. And so <clears throat> the altars are open. We're, we're going to pray. I, I'm going to encourage you because it's, it's 8 o'clock right now, um, and I, I think Hurricane Irma was supposed to hit Florida at 8. So it, it's making landfall. Pray for Irma or uh, Florida and, and those affected by Hurricane Irma. Uh, continue to pray for, for Houston and, and those impacted by Hurricane Harvey. Um, and pray for our country, church. And then uh, we'll dismiss here in a, a little bit. The elders are open.